I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 24. We're going to look at the third resurrection appearance here in the 24th chapter of, of Luke. And we're looking at Jesus' last words. You ever been with someone when they have spoken their last words? Maybe you have someone who's special to you that you have been with and they had the opportunity to say uh, goodbye to you. And so when we think about some of those special moments, the, how people made us feel special, I think of my, my grandmother, Hazel. Hazel Seawright. She taught me about, about Jesus when I was a little boy. She taught me about how to, how to love life. And I think about her blackberry cobbler all the time. Ooh, in my dreams, I dream about her blackberry cobbler. But she would tell me, now, Kyle, she had great eight grandchildren. You're my favorite grandchild. Hey, but don't, don't tell all the others. I don't want them to feel bad that you're my favorite. And I found out when I preached her funeral that she had told all the others the exact same thing. She made us feel that way, made us feel special. Now, in the 24th chapter of Luke, the disciples um, are grieving like the women were grieving when they came to the tomb, and like the two on the road to Emmaus were disappointed and grieving as well. And they're grieving because their best friend has been brutally murdered, crucified, and he's gone. They're grieving also because they feel guilty. They had scattered like chickens. They had abandoned him in his time of greatest need on the, on the cross. And so they are wondering what's going to happen because they're, they're confused. They're hearing the word that Jesus is alive and they don't know exactly what's going to happen to them. If they kill Jesus, the Romans and the religious leaders, then what's going to happen to them? And so they're in a room in Jerusalem and the door is locked and all of a sudden Jesus appears. And that's where we have uh, Luke 24 occurring here, these famous last words of Jesus. I'm going to start with verse 35, Luke 24, 35. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were about to uh, telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. And then he said, when I was with you before, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms. 
must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of His name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray you'd open our minds to the Scripture. Help us understand what you want us to see. Lord, in these unique days, even troubling days, we ask that you would bring to our hearts what Jesus brought to his first disciples' hearts and all who would follow him now. Father, I, I pray that you would speak through me in these moments. For Father, unless you speak, I have nothing to say. Use me, Lord, as your vessel. In your power, in your name, I pray. Amen. Famous last words. We think about some of people's famous last words in, in history. I don't know if you realized it or not, but our second president, John Adams, and our third president, Thomas Jefferson, died on the same day, and it was July the 4th. 1826. John Adams, the second president, the last words were, Thomas Jefferson still lives. Those are strange last words, are they not? Stranger still because five hours before Thomas Jefferson had died uh, before he spoke those words. Other people's strange last words are, are um, kind of unique. A, a general in the Union Army during the Civil War's famous last words, John Sedgwick was his name, said as he looked over the battle of the wilderness and his um, advisors told him to come down from the top of wherever he was, his famous last words were, they couldn't hit an elephant at this day. Evidently, they might not have could have hit an elephant, but they hit him. And those were his famous last words. We think of um, some maybe courageous famous last words. Joan of Arc said as she was burned at the stake for her faith as a heretic in those days that the Roman Catholic Church burned her and later recanted from that, said that was a mistake 500 years after the fact. She said, hold the cross high that I might see it through the flames. A fellow named um, St. Lawrence, who was one of the early martyrs for Christ, his famous last words as the Romans roasted him over the coals was, turn me over, <laughs> I am roasted on one side. And as Romans saw him die with a sense of joy, hundreds of them came to know Christ because they saw him Die well. Famous last words. These last words of Christ here. 
in the Gospel of Luke uh, remind us of what he said in the Gospel of Matthew, his last words, the Great Commission. Remember? All authority on heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the very end. Jesus, in, in this gospel, uh, brings great news to those disciples who are grieving and guilty and confused. And I, I want to share a few of those because I think we need the same words in our day. The first one that Jesus brings to us is peace be to you. Now, he could have, remember, Peter's gathered there with the other 11. He could have said to Peter four other words besides peace be to you. He could have said, I told you so. As we remember Peter at the end of the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22, 33 says, Lord, I'll go to prison for you. I'll even die with you. And then Jesus says, no, Peter, you're not. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And it happened. Jesus could have said, I told you so. But he doesn't. He says, peace be to you. Shalom. That was important to those early Jewish Christian believers. Shalom meant, in a nutshell, that the Jews had hope that God was going to reign in the age to come. And it was a life characterized by security, welfare, and relational harmony. That was a word they needed. A word of peace that we still need. Jesus said in John 20, some of his last words in the Gospel of John, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you his message. His mission is our message and our mission. We'll look at that again in, in just a moment. But he also says at one point in Mark 4, Peace, remember? Peace, be still. They're in the boat on the sea. The storm has come up. The disciples are tired of, of bailing out all the water. They're overwhelmed. And they ask Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing? Jesus is asleep on the cushion. I wonder if he's really asleep. I wonder if he's not just playing a little coy, knowing what he's about to do. And he stands up and he speaks to nature and says, peace, be still. And the fear that the disciples had, you think, would be squelched. But they're even more afraid. They say, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? He's the man, the God-man, who still has control over all that goes on in our world. Isn't that a good word? He's still in charge. Peace. Be still. He brought the disciples that word. But he also brings them a word 
of proof. The next thing I want you to see here is he says, why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look, you're worried that that I'm gone, but look, look at my hands. Look at at my feet. What did they see? The nail scars. Thomas had to be with them. Or at least he was going to be with them. We don't know if this is the first or the second time that he appears to the disciples. John tells us there's, there's two times. But remember what Thomas said, I, I, I'm not going to believe unless I put my hands in his nail-scarred hands, in his side. I'm not going to believe. And Jesus, when he appears, says to Thomas, Hey, put your hands here. Here in, in Luke, he says, Touch me. Touch me. You remember the the woman in Luke 8 who just touches the hem of his garment as Jesus is on his way to heal uh, Jairus' daughter. Not just heal her, but raise her from the dead. And the woman who has an issue of, of blood, who's had that for 12 years and spent everything she has, all her living upon doctors and nobody could do anything for her and she just touches the hem of his garment and he says who touched me and the disciples say hey there's a crowd all around you what do you mean who who touched you and he said i felt power go out from me and the woman said i did it i touched you thinking she was in trouble and she he says your faith has made you well your faith has saved you and that's the proof that Jesus wants to give to the disciples here, just, just touch me. Physical proof that He's alive. But it's not just physical proof that He, he gives them. It's scriptural proof. Just like He did on the road to Emmaus with the two, He, he opened up the Scripture to the two there. And here it says He opens up their minds to the Scripture. The scripture was fulfilled, you know, from the law and the prophets and the, the Psalms. Here he says, what scripture? We don't know exactly. I've mentioned some of those earlier when we talked about those two on the road to Emmaus. But, but just more, Exodus 24 had to be part of that. Where the covenant is sealed with the blood of the bulls and the heifers and the lambs and the goats. And centuries of blood had been offered as sacrifice. And now, Jesus says, He must have said, no more blood. Because my blood covers all that blood. And I did it once and for all. No more sacrifice. That's from the law. From the prophets, maybe he goes to Hosea 6.2 that talks about uh, raising on the third day. And he reminds them, yeah, now it's the third day. And because I've risen, you too can rise. Or maybe he goes to Psalm 22 as part of the, the Psalms he's talking about here. David writes hundreds of years before, before Jesus. He writes... The very first verse of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know those words. Words Jesus says from the cross. And 
long before crucifixion was ever even invented in Psalm 22, 18, David writes, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Details of Jesus' crucifixion. Before crucifixion was even around as a means of execution. Jesus says all of those things have to be fulfilled. And they are. And it's proof that he's the one they've been looking for. And then Jesus gives them that word of purpose. I think those last words are so, so important. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And then in verse 47, it was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name. That's the Messiah's name, that's Jesus' name, to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem, where they were. Remember Acts 1.8? Wait, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is kind of a, uh, the first version of that in the Gospel of Luke. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, or the ends of the earth. And here he says, this message is going to be proclaimed. Here's the message. A message I think we need always. A message of forgiveness. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. Isn't that what the cross was all about? Our forgiveness. He paid our debt. He took our place. And so he says, for all who repent, there is forgiveness. We know what that word repent means. It means to turn from our sins and turn to the Lord. But it also means to change our minds. We know life is not working on our own terms. It's not working the way that God has designed it to work. And so we change our mind about our own selfishness and our own sin. And we turn from our own ways and go with God's ways. That's what repentance is all about. Turning. So that we might receive forgiveness. Now I have a little car here because I wanted to illustrate that for just a, a moment. A, a fellow in a previous church in Olton made that for me. His name was Bud Andrews. He, he made all of that by hand. He's quite a, a craftsman. He's deceased now. And so I, I keep that on the top shelf in my office because I, I want kids in my office all the time, every chance they get. But I don't, I don't want them to, to mess that up. Just imagine for a moment that uh, a child were to run through my office and shake my bookshelves and, and knock that down. I'd be looking for their parents. Right off the bat, I'd say, hey, uh, somebody's got to pay for that. Or I'd say, oh, don't worry about that. Even though it's priceless to me, it cannot be replaced. I'll cover that debt. And God says, in our brokenness, somebody's got to pay for sin. And his plan was to send his one and only son through the incarnation 
and make atonement for our sin. And Jesus validated all that he said and did through the resurrection for our forgiveness. So we'd be made right with God. And Jesus speaks that word to them. Don't you think people still need that message? Isn't that what Jesus is giving us? He's giving us a word of a purpose. People need to know that God's not out to get them. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He, he's not just after their, their money or their time. Or, or He's not after anything. He's here to give. And He gave us His Son. Jesus laid down His life so that we would know God's love and so that we would make His mission our mission to make disciples of all the nations and share this message of forgiveness to all who will repent, who will turn away from their sin. Turn to God. Now, we're part of the rescue squad. That's our purpose. We think about all that God is doing in our days. Is He not preparing a lot of hearts? Are the fields not white for harvest? Are people not sitting up and, and taking notice? And thinking about eternal things. Thinking about their health. And, and thinking about what they've been giving themselves to and their lives to, do we not, as the people of God, need to consider whether we need to repent of some things, get things right with the Lord? Think about this with me for just a moment. Is there anything at all in our lives that we've given more of our attention and affection to than the Lord? How about kids or sports or Kids sports, <laughs> we think about things like money and everything that money can buy, luxury and beauty and clothes and houses and cars and all those things that we place our faith and security in. Have they become idols that we need to repent of? See, God has given us those things as blessings to enjoy. But sometimes they become obsessions that control us. So let's begin as we think about experiencing God's forgiveness and sharing that message as our, our purpose in, in following Him. Let's begin by repenting ourselves and experiencing that forgiveness ourselves because forgiven people, Forgive, and it's a lot easier to extend the message of God's forgiveness as we live it ourselves. This final word is a reminder that we're not in this alone. That we receive power. Verse 49, and, I, and now I'll send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. He promised through Jesus in John 14, that He was going to send the Spirit. Peace I live with, leave with you, He says there in John 14, 27.
but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from on high or from, from heaven. I visited with a fellow this week about his Oikos card, and he just felt like he didn't know how to share his faith with somebody. And I, I remind him and I remind you that it's the Holy Spirit's job to work through you, and He will empower you, and He'll give you the words to say at just the moment you need them. It's the Holy Spirit's job to help us interpret the Scripture. It's the Holy Spirit's job to remind us, but it's our job to read and study and know and to prepare ourselves as much as we can so that the Holy Spirit has something to work with, some material to work with. But He's the one that gives us the power. I love that word, dunamis. It's where we get our English word, dynamic. When you think about somebody that's got a dynamic personality, don't they just draw people in? When we think about another English word, dynamo, that's, that's like the Energizer bunny, you know, so they keep going on and on and on and on. That's where we get... That word dynamo, energy is transformed into power. But dynamite comes from that word, that Greek word dunamis. And the, the early church was about to explode because of the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. John 20, 21, Jesus' last words there. You'll receive power as you receive the Holy Spirit. And He gives His disciples the Holy Spirit. We're reminded. We're never alone. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He gives us the power to fulfill the mission He's called us to, the purpose of declaring His forgiveness, the purpose of making disciples. And that's how Luke's gospel ends. Jesus ascends on high right after this. But the last words He says here, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Want to know how John's gospel Ends his last words in John's gospel. Follow me. He says them to Peter. Follow me. That's how it all started for Peter and the other disciples. With that simple command, follow me and I'll make you, remember? What? Fishers of men. And Jesus comes back to that. In Matthew's gospel, in Luke's gospel, and in John's gospel. Follow me. To follow him is to fish. Fish for men and not fish. So, we need those messages, don't we? Of peace. We need the message of, of proof that he's still alive. We need to the message of purpose and the message of power. You have peace? 
Are you living a life on purpose? Are you living a life empowered by the Spirit of God? Follow Him.